In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream, and visions passed through his mind as he was lying in bed. He wrote down the substance of his dream. Daniel said, In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up the giant sea. Four great beasts, each different from the other, came up out of the sea. The first was like a lion, and it had wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were turn, torn off, and it lifted up from the ground, so it stood on two feet like a human being, and the mind of a human was given to it. And there before me was a second beast, which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. After that, I looked, and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard. And on its back, it had four wings like those of a bird. This beast had four heads, and it was given authority to rule. After that, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from the former beasts, and it had ten horns. While I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up among them. And three of the first, first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a human being and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I looked, thrones were set in place and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow. The hair of his head was white like the wool. His throne was flaming with fire and its wheels were all ablaze. The river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words that the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority but were allowed to live for a period of time. In my vision at night I looked and there before me was one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. I, Daniel, was troubled in spirit, and the visions that passed through my mind disturbed me. I approached one of those standing there and asked him the meaning of all this. So he told me and gave the interpretation of these things. The four great beasts are the four kings that will rise from the earth. But the holy people of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. Then I wanted to know the meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others, the most terrifying, with its iron teeth and bronze claws, the beast that crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. I also wanted to know about the ten horns and the other horn that came up before, which three of them fell, the horn that looked more imposing than the others, and that had the eyes and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I watched, this horn was waging war against the holy people and defeating them, until the Ancient of Days came and pronounced judgment in favor of the holy people of the Most High, and the time came when they possessed the kingdom. He gave me this explanation. The fourth beast 
is a fourth kingdom that will appear, will appear on earth. It will be different from the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. The ten horns are ten kings who will come from this kingdom. After them, another king will arise, different from the earlier ones. He will subdue three kings. He will speak against the Most High and oppress his holy people and try to change the set times and the laws. The holy people will be delivered into his hands for a time, times and a half a time. But the court will sit and his power will be taken away and completely destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, power and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to the holy people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all rulers will worship and obey him. This is the end of the matter. I, Daniel, was deeply troubled by my thoughts and my face turned pale, but I kept the matter to myself. Hey, good evening, folks. Good to be with you all. Welcome to church. Uh, if you're visiting with us, a very warm welcome. My name's Pete, uh, pastor here at Destiny. And uh, we're in a series looking at the book of Daniel uh, on Sunday nights. And the book of Daniel, as you've just heard, is like, wow, what's going on there? It's, it's so dramatic. It's so vivid. It's very, uh, it's, it's very pictureful. And, uh, and you also have a sense as you watch, as you're listening to the book of Daniel or reading the book of Daniel, that you're, 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 experience, you're being exposed to some global events that God was giving Daniel insight into. And that's exactly what we're going to look at tonight. So we're going to pray. You need to pray for me because that's a hard text to unpack. But I, I really believe there's some great truths in it that are going to impact our lives and are relevant for, 20, uh, for, for our lives in 2018. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your love for each and every person in this room. I know that you know them. I know that you have a plan for their lives. And I pray tonight as we turn to the Bible that you would speak to us, that you'd help me to share, and you'd help us to understand some great truths from that awesome chapter in Daniel chapter 7. God, you spoke it to Daniel. And here we are, several thousand years later, looking at these verses, these words, which we believe are scripture. And I pray, God, you'd speak to us and help us to understand in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I think in each and every one of us, there is a desire to change the world, right? If you're really honest, you want to be a superhero. You want to change the world. That's why we like the superhero movies, right? I remember as a kid, uh, I, I must have been P1 or P2. Uh, my dad was, he, he, dad's very creative. Dad's an artist. And, and he got this huge carpet tube, you know, like carpets come in a big roll. And this huge carpet tube, I reckon it must have been maybe three meters long. And he, he, he made it, I think it was, must have been my birthday or something, he made it into an airplane fuselage for me with everything. I mean, there was a cockpit. There was, it's a huge thing, massive, maybe four meters long. And this sat in my living room, and this was my airplane. And I was utterly convinced. He, he painted it kind of camouflage colors. He made a cockpit that kind of opened, and you could sit in it, it had controls. I was utterly convinced that he was actually going to put wings in it and this thing was going to fly. I was telling all my friends, my dad's building me a plane. And I, I was convinced, and I said, my dad will then build you a tank. And he was, I was going around with my friends telling them all the things my dad was going to build for you. And I got so inspired that we were going to become this organization that changed the world. And we'd all have these things like Thunderbirds or something like this. And I, I actually got um, sheets and uh, I, I cut them out into capes. And I got a, a marker pen on the back. I did a big kind of lightning bolt because that was what 
people who change the world have on their capes. And, and I wrote superpowers on it because that was the name I'd come up with. I couldn't come up with anything, better, but it kind of sticks. It's kind of timeless. Superpowers. And I, I made several of these capes and I handed them around my friends. And I remember in, in the playgrounds in primary school, we would run around the playground with these capes on, which were just old ripped up sheets with superpowers written in the back. And we were there to change the world. But listen, don't tell anyone that because it's a highly embarrassing story, right? It's, I, I would only share it in private, not, not in public, in a church service that's being Twitter-lived or anything like that. So how funny is that? I don't know if you, any of you guys did anything like that, but as a kid, I was convinced I'm here to change the world. There is this kind of God-given sense in every human being. I believe it's a God-given sense. But somewhere down deep within, there is an awareness that you're here to change the world. Somewhere deep within, if you're honest, there's something, whether you've buried it or not, under realities, there is this deep desire to change the world. You are here to make a difference. You're here to reign. You're here to rule. That all goes wrong when you get people with power and they start doing it all wrong. But there is a God-given desire, natural God-given desire, that you're here to rule. You're here to make a difference. Let's go into Daniel 7. And, it, and I guess I've got three headings, very simply. The first heading is this, they shall reign. Then the second heading is, he shall reign. And then the last heading is, we shall reign. So first of all, they shall reign. Daniel 7 is Daniel's vision that he has of some of the things that were going to be taking place on planet earth, some of the empires that were going to rule over earth. If you put Daniel 7 alongside Daniel 2, Nebuchadnezzar's dream in Daniel 2, you'll see it's almost exactly the same, but in, in different pictures. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar's dream, uh, he had a dream of a statue that represented four world empires that were going to rule on earth. And we know that historically, you put your history book beside the Bible, and he was absolutely right. The four world empires were the Babylonian Empire, which Nebuchadnezzar was the king over, then the Medes and the Persians, and then they were overthrown by the Greek Empire with Alexander the Great. And then there was the Roman Empire with their various Caesars and Neros and, and uh, the various rulers, which lasted over a thousand years. So we had these four empires. So history proves that that vision that Nebuchadnezzar had was accurate. And here's another vision. It's actually describing exactly the same thing. Daniel has a vision of four beasts. Each beast represents one of these kingdoms. First beast was a lion, represents the Babylonian Empire. Second beast in the vision was a bear, represents the Medes and the Persians with uh, Darius and Cyrus. And then the third beast was a leopard, representing the Greek Empire. A little detail in there was that uh, the beast had uh, four heads. And historically, again, this was Daniel having this vision before the Greek Empire ever was. But the Greek Empire had four generals that, after Alexander the Great, took over the empire and led it in its various in Syria, Egypt, Asia Minor, and in Greece. And then eventually there was the fourth beast. And Daniel was a bit intimidated by this particular beast, as, as we'll unpack that in a bit more time. But this fourth beast was the Roman Empire. And it was more vicious and more malignant than all of the other beasts. And uh, this, this was exactly what took place historically. And you might think, well, okay, that's history. How on earth does that have any bearing in 2018 in our lives today? And so while those kingdoms don't necessarily affect you today, let me just make a bigger point about how God interacts with the kingdoms of the world. It says in verse 6, it was given authority to rule. And here's the point I want to make, is that God allows these empires to rule. In fact, God, to some degree, gave them their dominion. 
It doesn't mean he in any way endorsed some of their behavior. And it doesn't mean that uh, God wanted them to do some of the things they did. But I have to let you know, and you have to understand, that God's not up in heaven thinking, oh no, what are they doing now? Okay, God is much more in control than you think. Thank God. All right, because you look around and think, is anyone in control? Yes, God's in control. God's on the throne. And again, let me just make it clear. I'm not, I'm not a fatalist. I'm not saying, well, okay, sarah, sarah, whatever will be, whatever will be, will be. I'm not just saying that, you know, we just got to accept everything that goes down because there's a lot of bad stuff going down. But I have to tell you that God is on the throne, God is sovereign, and God is in control. Anyone say amen if they agree? Overwhelming. Come on, guys. Anyone say amen if you agree? Slightly better. Okay. God allows authorities to rise, and God also causes authorities to fall. God's in control. Why would he do that? Even knowing that some of those authorities are going to do bad stuff. Okay, I mean, who am I to presume that I understand God's mind? But let me just give you some, the only insights I can give you is what the Bible gives us. Acts chapter 17, Paul in Mars Hill in Athens, he said this, and I think this is what is happening when some of the stuff's happening in the world. Acts 17, 26 to 27, from one man he made the nations, that they would inhabit the whole earth. He marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from every one of us. God allows you to be where you're living, the world to be the way it is, superpowers to do superpower stuff, as governments to rise and fall. God allows these things. He appoints their times and the places of their habitations. Why? In all of it, even in the midst of the evil and the crazy political decisions that are being made, even in the middle of all, God is allowing it. Why? There is one big agenda in the soul of God that humankind would come back to him. And, and he, he will even allow the kind of crazy stuff to go on because as, as long as the human race can find their way back to God, that is the biggest thing. Many people complain, well, why on earth would God allow Islamic State? Why on earth would God allow those regimes? Why on earth would God allow these things to happen on earth? And, I, and, and it's as if the worst thing that could happen on, on earth is that human beings die under some terrible regime. Folks, that's a terrible thing. But I have to tell you, that is not the worst thing that could happen on earth. The worst thing that can happen on earth is not that you, people will die because of a bad regime. C.S. Lewis made the point, war does not increase death. Death is total in every generation. The tragedy isn't that people die under a terrible regime. The tragedy is this, that human beings wait until they're in a tragic situation before they turn out to turn to God. The, the, the reality is that oftentimes it's under terrible regimes that people turn to God. It's often under hardship, times of hardship that people turn to God. And I'm not saying that, oh, well, that's why God allowed that to happen. But it is a fact of nature and it is a fact of history that people turn to God under the toughest times. You know, in the 70s and the 80s, the believers in Iran who were a persecuted bunch, believers in Iran, Christian churches in Iran, were crying out to the uh, believers in the West and they were saying, please pray with us. Please pray with us that Ayatollah Khomeini does not get reelected and come back to power. Please pray with us that this does not, does not happen. Because if that happens, we're done for. He will, he will clamp down. He'll bring a strict Islamic, 
Islamic regime. He will apply laws that will make it hard for us to be Christians. Please pray that that man's reign does not come in, in Iran. And people were praying all over the world in the 70s and 80s that that would not happen. But their prayers seemingly were not answered. Ayatollah Khomeini came to power. And yet, under that regime, for, for several decades under that regime, more people became believers in three decades following that moment when he came to power than had in the previous hundred years when there was another regime and there was relative peace. Today, according to Operation World, Iran has the fastest growing evangelical Christian population with 19.6% year-on-year growth. Isn't that amazing? So God is in control. He doesn't endorse the crazy stuff that happens, but you have to understand that sometimes God allows things to happen because He's a bigger agenda. All you see is the headlines, but there are sub-stories of lives being transformed and changed everywhere you look, and you won't see them in the newspapers, but they're happening everywhere. God is at work in the human race. So they shall reign. The second thing is this. The Bible teaches that He shall reign. Daniel 7, 13 to 14, it says, in my vision at night I looked, this is after he'd seen the beasts, and it says, and there before me was one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days. What a great title for God. He approached the Ancient of Days, and he was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Wow, that's my hero. Jesus, at the end of his three years ministry, the crowds had followed him. He'd fed them miraculously. He'd walked on water. He'd raised dead people. He'd opened blind eyes, caused lepers to be cleansed, got their life back, gave hope to rejected people, hung around with sinners, loved people. And then he was arrested because of the jealousy of the Pharisees. He was brought before the Jewish Sanhedrin, which is the, the, the 70 elite rulers in Israel. And Jesus was brought before Caiaphas, the high priest then, and he was quizzed and challenged and tested. And Jesus said nothing. As a sheep before her, shearer is silent. Jesus stood there, didn't fight his corner. He knew exactly what was going to happen. In fact, he was more in control than they realized. And they said to him in Matthew 26, but Jesus remained silent. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. You have said so, Jesus replied. Cool answer. But I say to you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, he has spoken blasphemy. Why do you need any more witness? Look, you have heard the blasphemy. The Caiaphas, being a Jewish scholar, understood exactly what Jesus was saying. Jesus was claiming to be the one that Daniel saw in his vision, the Son of Man, who would have all dominion and glory 
and honor and worship. And Caiaphas said, that's blasphemy. The irony is that one day Caiaphas stood before that son of man and realized that your victim was on the throne, that the one you condemned is the one who is the savior of the world. Say now that he blasphemes Caiaphas as he stood before the ruler of the universe. In Daniel 7, it says in verse 14, all nations, people, and peoples of every language worshipped him. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom uh, is one that will never be destroyed. I don't know if you noticed it in Daniel's vision, but there's this incredible revelation of God. You have the Ancient of Days on his throne, and then one like the Son of Man being brought before him. It's interesting. There's two of them. There's the Father and there's the Son. And 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 yet it says that all nations of every and the peoples of every language worshipped him, who the Son of Man. So you know, you and I know, God alone deserves worship. You know, there's moments in the Bible when people had a vision of an angel and they and they were they were tempted to bow down and almost worship because of the, the gloriousness of the angel. But the angel would, angels would often reply, do not worship me, I'm a fellow servant. But not so with Jesus. Disciples, after he walked on water, fell down and worshipped him and Jesus didn't stop them. People worshipped Jesus continually in the gospel and Jesus never once stopped them. Why? Because it is appropriate to worship God. What you see is a revelation of God, which actually is the revelation of God right through the entire scripture that God is and eternally has been Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's an amazing revelation. It says in John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I mean, how can you be with God and yet at the same time was God? <laughs> I mean, it seems like, well, okay, I get that you're with God, but then if you are God, how could you be with God? And therein lies the mystery. And, and we, we believe that, that what we see in Scripture is this revelation of God, the self-disclosure of God to the world, that He is one God, not three gods, one God, who's eternally existed as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You see it right at the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image. God speaking of Himself in the plural. This is incredible. God said, let us make man in our image. So this Son of man that Daniel saw in the vision, this Son of man who will be worshipped is with the Father and is God. It's incredible. Incredible. Be in awe. Why is the title given to him the Son of man? Well, he that made man was made man. God became a man. Let me read you an excerpt from Leith Anderson's article, A God's Eye View of Christmas. Several years ago, I was visiting Manila and was taken, of all places, to the Manila garbage dump and saw something beyond belief. Tens of thousands of people made their home on the garbage site. They constructed shacks out of things that other people had thrown away, and they sent their children out every morning to scavenge for foods and among other people's garbage uh, so that they would have meals for the family. People have been born and have grown up on the garbage dump. They have had their families, their children, their shacks. They eat the garbage to eat. 
They finished out their lives and died there with actually out ever, without going ever anywhere else. Many people have lived out their days on the garbage dump and never even visited the city of Manila, which is nearby. It's an astonishing thing. But also in the garbage dump, there were others, Westerners who live in the garbage dump. They're missionaries, Christians who have chosen to leave their own country and their Western comforts to communicate the love of Jesus to a people who otherwise would never have heard it. That's amazing to me, that people would leave where they have all the comforts and all the luxuries of life, and they would go and live in a garbage dump to demonstrate and to show and to demonstrate the love of God to these people. Amazing, but not as amazing as the journey from heaven to earth. The Son of Man made that journey. He knew that he, what he was doing. He knew where he was going, and he knew what the sacrifice would be. The journey from heaven to earth on the mission to save the human race. God stepped out dramatically out of his comfort zone. Love drove him to do it. Jesus Christ became a man. He that made man was made man. God became a man. He's always been God, but 2,000 years ago, he became a man. And eternally, he will be fully God and fully man. Jesus Christ, the Son of Man. The Son of God became the Son of Man so that the sons of men could become the sons of God. God entered into our existence in order to rescue us from our lostness. Jesus Christ had to become a man in order to die on behalf of all people. He had to be one of us to die for all of us. And he lived a perfectly sinless life in the midst of a sinful generation to pay the price for sinners so that we could be saved. That's the good news. God, the creator of the universe, loved you so much he did that. God came into human existence. I love it. And it says, in all peoples, all nations and peoples from every language worshipped him all. A day will come where everyone, the Bible says, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And on that day, you know, even Caiaphas and other people, Richard Dawkins, everyone will acknowledge Jesus Christ is Lord. If this is true, everyone's going to see him. Now, in that moment, some will begrudgingly have to acknowledge that he's Lord. But what God's looking for in our lives is in the here and now. By faith, we acknowledge the Lordship of Jesus. God wants us like Thomas, the apostle, who'd been doubting for so many times in his following of Jesus. When Thomas saw Jesus resurrected from the dead, he fell before him and says in John 20, verse 28, he cried out, my Lord and my God. He wants you to acknowledge him now, not wait till the end when it's too late, but now acknowledge him as Lord and God. Napoleon Bonaparte said this, if Socrates would enter the room, you should rise and do him honor. But if Jesus Christ came into the room, you should fall down on your knees and worship him. Romans 10 verse 9, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Lord is a Greek word, kuros, and it means supreme in authority, God, Lord, Master. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is supreme, Lord, 
God, Master, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. You can be saved. Tonight, you can be saved. And what I mean by saved is eternally saved. Saved from your sin. I'm not talking about becoming religious. Please don't. I'm talking about coming to know God, the one who gave you life in the first place. He loves you so much. Tonight, why not reach out if you haven't already done this? You know if you've done this. Don't get anyone else on. You know if you've done this or not. Have you trusted Jesus to be your savior? If you haven't done that tonight, take the greatest step you could ever take and trust in Jesus as your savior and allow him to be the Lord of your life. He shall reign. And then thirdly, we shall reign. Listen to what it says in Daniel chapter 7, verse 18. But the holy people of the Most High, another translation says, but the saints of the Most High. A saint literally means a holy person. And um, the holy people of the Most High will receive the kingdom. So having seen this vision of different kingdoms and empires rising and falling on the earth, the Bible says that then we see the throne, the ultimate throne, God's ultimate rulership and the Son of Man coming and He will rule and everyone will pay allegiance to Him. But then it says, but the holy people of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. Isn't that incredible? And actually, this has been God's intention from the very beginning of time. When God created the world, the Bible says that he created the world and there was a, there was a, a process in which he created and the, everything was, the stage was set. And then at the very last part of the, of the process, the Bible says God made man in his image. And he put him on the earth and the Bible says he told him to be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Fill the earth and subdue it. God's first command to mankind was fill the earth, you know, have sex. We've done really well with that command, okay? We haven't done well with any of the other commands, but we've done really well with that one, okay? Fill the earth and subdue it. The word subdue means to have dominion over it, rule. God created, the reason we, we have this inbuilt knowing, man, I'm meant to change the world, I'm meant to make a difference. The reason you have that inbuilt is it's because exactly how you were created. You weren't created uh, as an animal, just to survive. A monkey who got lucky. Okay? You, you were created much more. You were created in the image of God. That's why there's this desire to make a difference. That's why there's this desire to rule. I don't mean a, an arrogant, bold, um, kind of dominating desire over others, but a God, godly, God-given desire to make a difference with your life. That's from God. That's because you were created in the image of God. And we see this was, the, this was the commission given to mankind at the very, very beginning. It's, it's like, I've used this illustration many times. Have you got a set of keys? Someone got a set of keys? Oh, <laughs> not like these ones. Oh, they're rubbish. Check these. Thanks, Peter. These are brilliant. Whoa. This is more biblical. Okay. At the beginning of time. There's animals and everything in this. 
Don't be distracted, folks. Just stick with the illustration. So God created the world, and, and the Bible teaches that he gave the keys of planet Earth to the human race. You're all going to... Can I have your keys? These are too distracting. These are too distracting. What is that on it? It's a shiny... Okay, ignore the dog. God gave the keys of the human race to, to the human race. This, this planet Earth is yours now. He gave the tenancy to human... In fact, here's, here's what it says... In Psalm 115, verse 16, the heavens are the heavens of the Lord, but the earth he has given to the sons of man. He gave planet earth to the human race. Satan, who desired dominion, came against not the monkeys, not the dogs, not the trees. He came against the human beings created in the image of God. And Satan allured them and tempted them, and they surcame. And in giving in to Satan's temptation, they gave over the keys. They obeyed Satan. And in obeying, he became Lord. That's why Jesus calls him the God of this earth. Why? Because the human race gave him the keys. Remember Jesus, when he was being tempted, Satan said, if you bow down and worship, I will give you all these kingdoms and their dominion, for they have been handed over to me. Satan wasn't bluffing, otherwise it wouldn't have been a temptation. They had been handed over to him. Since the beginning, Adam gave the keys to the enemy. But Jesus didn't bow the knee to Satan like Adam. Rather, Jesus Christ defeated Satan by legally whipping out the carpet from under his feet by dying on the cross as one who was morally upright, died on behalf of those who were not morally upright. He regained as a man on behalf of mankind the keys back in human dominion. The Son of Man has the keys. Romans five seventeen to 19. For if by the trespass of one man death reigned through that one man, Adam, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as the trespass of one resulted in condemnation for all people, so the righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. But just as through the disobedience of one man, many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man, many will be made righteous. Jesus Christ, in his great radical loving obedience on a cross, won back the ability for human beings to reign on earth. You have the keys. Congratulations. To so die, this is the truth. You were created to rule, and in Jesus, coming into Jesus, you are restored to this place where you can rule on earth. Now, Daniel, let me, just, let me just kind of take in a sidestep here. Daniel was actually devastated. You've read that in the verses. When Emily read it, Daniel was devastated on the back of that vision. Did you see that in the verses? It's, let me read it to you. Daniel 7 verse 19. I wanted to know the meaning of the, of, of the fourth beast. He, he had this, he, first of all, he inquired about all the beasts. Well, what does this mean, the, this vision I'm seeing? And, and um, the, I guess it was an angel who had appeared to him was giving him an understanding of what these different beasts were. But Daniel was in particular disturbed by the fourth beast. 
Did you notice that in the verses? And he says, I want to know the meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others and most terrifying. It's iron teeth and bronze claws, it's breast, and it, that it, the beast crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. And at the end of the whole vision, the Bible says that Daniel was devastated. It says in verse 28, this is the end of the matter. I, Daniel, was deeply troubled by my thoughts and my face turned pale and I kept the matter to myself. Why was Daniel devastated? He'd just seen God's throne. He'd just seen the victorious son of man. Why would he be devastated? What was it that devastated Daniel so much? Do you know when I was reflecting on that? I think he understood it's all ultimately going to turn out right, but there's going to be some challenges. I think that's what he saw. It's like there's a moment, you don't need to turn there, but in your own time, 2 Kings 8, 12, there's a moment when Elisha started weeping when he was prophesying over Haziel. And he started weeping because he thought, I know you're going to become king, but I know the damage you're going to cause. And he starts weeping, anticipating the damage that's going to be caused. I think Daniel saw something in that fourth beast that he realized this empire. And here was the difference. The Roman Empire was at the time when the church was birthed. The other empires weren't around when God's holy people were on the earth. And the church was birthed at the time of the Roman Empire. And Daniel saw the devastation that the Roman Empire was going to cause. AD 64, Emperor Nero burned Rome. Nero was a madman. He actually didn't like the layout of Rome. And he deliberately allowed the fire of Rome to happen. It devastated the city of Rome. Devastated most of the districts. Hundreds died in the fire. Thousands were left homeless. And here's the crazy thing. Nero feasted while Rome burned. And you know what he then did? He then blamed the fire of Rome on the Christians. And this began a wave of persecution under this beast, the Roman Empire, that Daniel saw. I think this is why Daniel was disturbed. It was the first of 10 waves of persecution under Rome which lasted from 64 AD to 300 AD when eventually Emperor Constantine had this encounter with God which stopped the persecution against Christians. But under Nero, it was vicious. Paul the Apostle and Peter the Apostles died. Paul was beheaded. Peter was crucified under Nero, this, this madman Nero. Nero did terrible things to God's holy people. He tortured Christians on the rack. He gouged out their eyes. He cut off parts of the body and roasted it in front of their face so they could, they could see parts of their body cut off being roasted. He fed them to the lions. He burnt them at the stake. He crucified them. He sewed Christians into the skins of wild animals and set his hungry hunting dogs on them to tear them to death. He wrapped Christians in material, soaked them in tar, attached them to stakes and set them on fire to illuminate his garden. That's where we get the title, The Roman Candle, from. Nero was also, he was such, such an aggressive man. He would often walk around the corpses of dead Christians, crucified Christians, or burned Christians, or uh, devoured Christians. And he would be furious, because on many of their faces, there was a serene look and often a smile because of their joy. He was furious. He understands, I think, Daniel felt and saw something in this prophecy about the danger of that Roman Empire and the devastation it would cause on the holy people. Paul the Apostle, in, in a place called Iconium, in the book of Acts, 
Paul was actually just stoned to death, Acts 14. He was stoned to death. He was taken outside the city, left for dead outside the city. Disciples gathered around him. I believe God raised him from the dead and he went straight back into the city. And it says this in Acts 14, 22. He strengthened the souls of the disciples, encouraged them continuing to continue in the faith and saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Why the struggle? Why the battle? It's the, the, the battle is there, the, the clash is there. So it's because we're living in a, a, an era where there is a clash of darkness and light. It's like the first coming, between the first coming and the second coming of Jesus, there is an era of co- conflict. It's like between the D-Day and V-Day on World War II. D-Day was the moment when the Allies landed on the coasts of mainland Europe. That was the beginning of the liberation of Europe. But it was several years until V-Day came when final victory was declared. The course of the war was changed on D-Day, but it wasn't until V-Day when the final victory was established. It says in Hebrews 10, 12, when Christ had offered for, for all time a single sacrifice for sins, then he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for the time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. Here's the reality. We're in a period between the first coming and the second coming of Jesus. His enemies are being made the footstool for his feet. Jesus has paid the price for sins. He's resurrected. He is the Savior. He will return. But we're in a time of conflict. Following Jesus is not the easy choice, but it's the greatest choice. There is an enemy of your souls who wants to take you out, whether it be under a Nero, or whether it be because you're tempted by pornography on the, te- on the, on the computer, or whether it be that you're lured by the, the, the lure of your old life, or wherever it comes, whatever guise it comes under, there is an enemy of your souls who wants to drag you away and stop you passionately following the Savior, who is the true sovereign of this earth. And it, the Bible says in Matthew 24, verse 14, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. The eventual coming of Jesus will happen only after the message has spread into the whole earth. And this is our role. This is our responsibility. We're to bring this message of God's love to the world, and then the end will come. Daniel 7, verse 18 says, but the holy people of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. You know that the ultimate reality is this, that God has brought the great reversal. He put people in his image on this earth to rule. And having dealt with the enemy, Satan, having dealt with sin and death through Jesus' death and resurrection, God will again establish his original intention on this earth. Human beings reflecting God's image under God's oversight, will reign. That's the reality. The Bible teaches that there'll be a new heavens and a new earth. And that you will have, you, so we will be in resurrected bodies, the Bible teaches. We will be on a resurrected earth, serving a resurrected Lord for all eternity. Earth is the domain of man. People think heaven, oh, I don't like the idea of that being like a ghostly figure floating around with some sort of harp in a nappy. No, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that the ultimate heaven will be a resurrected earth. That the domain of human beings is planet earth. 
And Jesus said it, Matthew 5, verse 5, blessed are the meek, those who are submitted, for they will inherit the earth. Let's pray. God, we are, are challenged by the verses in Daniel. Our minds are probably expanded quite a bit. And we've been faced with many great concepts and, and great truths. But in it, in it all, we see, God, you're glorious. That God, you're on the throne. God, you rule. God, you're so wise. And God, you have a plan. God, thank you that you are taking, history is heading in a direction. It's not aimlessly meandering forward at the mercy of evil. Thank you, God, you have a great plan. It might be that things have to get worse before they get better, but we say thank you that you have a great plan. God, I pray for my friends here tonight and those listening or those connecting in online. I pray, God, that we will be people who find ourselves in the plan of God, fulfilling our destinies, playing our role as the holy people of God, saved by Jesus, following Jesus, spreading the message of Jesus, seeing this earth impacted and playing our part in God's great plan. God, that's what we want. Glory to you, Son of Man, coming on the clouds of heaven. Glory to you, the true ruler, the sovereign of all. Glory to you, God. Just each one of you in God's presence, why not take a moment to respond? Pray back your own response to God. While people are praying, I want to give you an opportunity this evening. If you've never submitted to Jesus as your Lord, then tonight, why, why would you want to wait another day before making the greatest choice ever? Tonight, why don't you pray and commit yourself to becoming a follower of Jesus? Trust in the one who died for you on the cross and rose again. Let him be Lord of your life. If that's you this evening and you want to make that decision, then very simply pray this prayer with me under your breath. Pray with me, pray. Dear Lord God, Thank you so much for your love for me. Jesus, thank you in your love. You are willing to die in my place on the cross and then rise again on the third day. Thank you for paying the price so I could be forgiven. Thank you, Lord, that you're alive right now. Tonight, I turn my life over to you. I give my life, my future into your hands. I put my faith in you. Be my savior tonight, I pray. I choose instead of living my way, I choose instead to live your way from now on. Jesus, be Lord of my life. Thank you so much for hearing my prayer and accepting me tonight.